Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit OutreachChurch.net for downloads and service information. The Apostle Paul was writing to the church at Corinth regarding the Lord's Supper, and he said, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The body and the blood are two different things. They symbolize two totally different things. One is the blood that that was the new covenant that was shed for us for the forgiveness of sins. The other is the body of Christ that was broken. It says he was bruised for our iniquities, that he bore stripes for our healing. That he took our sin and bore our grief and surely he has borne them. And what it was was Jesus saying, everything that I have is for you. This body that you see that I walk around in, this blood that flows through these veins, every bit of it is for you. I came for you. And I don't want to hold anything back. See, Jesus is the most amazing leader ever because he'll never ask something from us that he wasn't willing to first do for us. And if he asks for your life, it's because he was first willing to give his. He'll never make a demand on you that he wasn't already doing himself. So when he says that he wants you to offer up your life to him as a living sacrifice, it's because he already came and offered his life up for you as a living sacrifice and paid the price. When we receive communion, we're reminding ourselves of that. It's, it's not that it's happening again. It's that we're reminding ourselves of what's already been done. Reminding ourselves of the price that was paid. Reminding ourselves of what it cost Him. What my sin, personally. It's one thing to look out and say like, man, for the sin of the world, Jesus came and died on a cross. It's a whole other thing to look at Him hanging on a cross and think, for my sin, He came and died. For mine. For the things that I did, for the sins that I committed, that God so loved me. And not just He did it because He knew my response, although He, he, he knew my response before I made it, but, but He also knew there would be people who wouldn't receive what Jesus came and died for, and yet He thought the blood of His Son was worth the chance to have relationship with them. And so we're reminding ourselves that, that it cost Him a high price to forgive me of my sins. That he paid a huge price. When we, when we place value on something, if you want to know what something's worth, the old answer that everyone gives is it's worth whatever anyone would pay for it. You can, you can put your stuff for sale on eBay for $5 million. It's not worth $5 million until somebody decides it is and pays that for it. So we determine the worth of something, the value of something, by what people are willing to pay. By what someone's willing to pay. The value of your son was that when the father looked at you, and he had to determine what you were worth, the value that he placed on your life was the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. He looked at you and said, their life is worth the blood of my son. Their life is worth his life. I'll trade his life for theirs. That's pretty awesome. It's pretty incredible. And it's amazing to think that He would do it just for the chance that you would see the work of Christ on the cross, put your faith in Him, 
and accept what he died for you to have and become born again, a new creation in Christ. So once we all get our communion, we're going to go back to our seats and we'll take it together. Temple of God is holy and that is what you are. That's his words to you over your life. And in Zephaniah, it says that, that he sings and he dances and he rejoices over you. And I would imagine that when he does, he's just singing truth over you. He's just declaring truth over your life. And if his word declares that you're holy, then that means at some point as he's singing over your life, one of the things he sings must be, You are holy. Right? No, think, I mean, seriously, think about it. At some point, if his word comes out of his mouth, it says he values his word above even his own name. So if his word is the most valuable thing to him, then that means when he's singing over your life, what's coming out of his mouth is his word. At some point over your life, he's singing, you're holy. And I've crowned you with beauty. Isn't that awesome? Let that make you uncomfortable if it has to. Let that break down your idea of who you are. Let that destroy the theology and the doctrine of demons that says that you're something less than the Word of God says that you are. But don't deny it. Don't run from it. Don't be so uncomfortable that you shut that out of your mind. Realize this, that the Father declared that you're holy because you're a temple of God. And His temple is holy. And that is what you are. Straight from His Word. Amen. All right, does everybody have body and blood? Um, so the, the first thing you might have noticed is that it's not a stale cracker. There's nothing wrong with using a stale cracker. You can use anything. Because the magic isn't in what you eat. The magic's in what was done. There's nothing sacred about a piece of bread other than that it becomes sacred when we hold it and we realize that by faith we're believing that the body of Jesus Christ is actually inside of us and we're inside of Him. And so we use delicious banana bread. Yeah. Um, because we, we just want it to be a time, honestly, of tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. So just hold up the, the bread. Father, we thank You for the body of Jesus Christ broken for us. We thank You that He took stripes on His back that we deserved so that we could wear crowns on our head that He deserved. We thank You that, that He offered up all that He has, that He has never asked us to do something that He Himself wasn't first willing to do for us. And when Paul says to offer up your bodies to Him as living sacrifices, it's only because He already offered His body up for us as a living sacrifice. The least we can do is return the favor and respond to what He's done by giving Him back what He gave to us. That's the body broken, bruised for you, for me.
Mm. Take the, the cup. Jesus said this was the new covenant in my name. That as he came to earth and, and walked the earth, he was carrying this covenant in his body. And as they, as they drove nails, it says that the record which was hostile against us was nailed to the cross with him. It means that even though they didn't realize it, as they thought they were being cruel, rather than tying him to the cross like you would normally do when you crucified somebody, they were trying to be cruel, and so they put nails through his wrists without even realizing that by doing so, they were opening the passageway for the new covenant to flow and the record that was hostile against me that was nailed to the cross. It says it was nailed to the cross with him. Colossians tells you that. So I want you just to picture this real quick, if you never have or if you have before. Everything that you had ever done, ever, the record that was hostile against you, written down on a piece of paper, every single thing, and then folded up, and placed between his wrist and the cross, and then a nail driven through from his wrist through the paper and into the cross, nailed to the cross with him. And as blood began to flow and gush from his wrist, it saturates the paper. And everything that was written there disappears as it's covered in his blood. And as it runs down to the, and trips onto the ground, it forever silences the blood that screamed for justice from the ground as mercy triumphed over justice and it silenced once and for all the record that was hostile against us. And when they took him from that cross in the little squares of paper, everybody had their own fell to the ground. If anyone was to come along and open them up and try to find the record that was hostile against you, that was hostile against me, that they could bring accusation, if any enemy would come along and try to find an accusation to make, as they opened that paper up, they would see nothing but the blood of Jesus. And no accusation could ever be made. Jesus, we thank You. Father God, we thank You for the blood of Your Son. We thank You that what, what the enemy meant in cruelty, what man thought was cruelty, was actually Your beautiful plan. That the blood of Jesus would cancel out once forever the record of sin that was hostile against us. And that if we ever found ourselves with an accuser and he's still in the world, the accuser of the brethren, it's what he does day and night. That as he opens up that letter to read it to you, all that's there is the blood. And it's as if the blood of Jesus says to him, what are you going to accuse them of? It's all been covered. And then he turns to look at you and says, where is your accuser? And you can look at him and say, I have none. 
And he would say the same thing to you that he said to the woman that was caught in adultery. Then neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus shed for us. We thank you for this covenant that we have, this new covenant, this better covenant. And as we drink this in, we remind ourselves that you're actually in us and with us. And that it's by your blood that we're made clean. By faith in the work of the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, you could pass all your cups to the person in the center, and then the person in the center can awkwardly hold them the rest of the service. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He's going to come and grab them. Give that to Dylan so he can put them all on there in case the stack gets too high. Oh, never mind. I think he's, they got it. Just grab that at the table. It's the front row. It's it's all God's favorites up there, Scott. That's true because we're all God's favorites, not just the people in the front row. Isn't that incredible to think about that, that that he gave us that picture in Colossians. He said the record that was hostile against you was nailed to the cross with him. And isn't it incredible how every single time the enemy thought he was doing something to harm him, it was actually for our good? So they beat him, beat him over and over again on his back. And and every time they beat him, those stripes paid for our healing. And they they shoved a crown on his head. They shoved a crown on his head of thorns, meaning to be cruel. And all they're doing is fulfilling prophecy. Um, he's, he always has the, the devil outsmarted. He's always ahead of him. And that record, I just, if you ever feel condemned, listen to me, if you ever feel condemned, if you ever, the, the, you know, the enemy doesn't stop. He's a liar from the beginning. So as he's accusing you, every time you hear him accused, you know it's not true because it says when he opens his mouth, he speaks lies because that's his native tongue. And if Jesus said that, that, that he doesn't accuse, then the only person who can be accusing you of the sins that have been forgiven by the Father would be the enemy. That's an easy way to know it's a lie. So you can actually turn that into praise and into rejoicing because every time there's an accusation made based on a sin that's covered by the blood of Jesus, you can actually turn and say, Father, I thank you that the voice of the enemy is not true. And I thank you that the record that was hostile against me was blotted out once and for all with the blood of Jesus. And I thank you that your salvation is so complete that right now you probably have no idea what I'm talking about, but I know and I thank you for it. Because he said, I'll forgive their sins and remember them no more. So he said, I am the Lord, even I, who forgives their sins and remembers them no more. Turn these lights. Let there be light. There we go. All right. Um, how much time do we have? 11.40.
Okay. Open your Bibles up to Ezekiel chapter 47. Uh, I'm only going to get partway through the message today, but that's okay because it'll continue good next week. How are you guys? Good? Yeah. If you have your offering, we'll just put them in the boxes. <laughs> huh? Okay, now they're by the exit doors. That one's gone. Last week we came in and it was hanging like that. I'm like, either someone put a lot of money in there or a little kid was trying to do pull-ups. But, um, but anyways, there's, there's boxes by the door exits, or you can just lay it right up here on the stage on your way out, honestly. It'll, it'll make its way back into the offering bucket at some point. Um, so Ezekiel chapter 47, verse 1. Ezekiel's having a vision. He's being shown things by an angel. And it says, Then he brought me back to the door of the house, and behold, water was flowing from under the threshold of the house towards the east, for the house faced east. And the water was flowing down from under, from the right side of the house, from south of the altar. He brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside by the, to the outer gate by way of the gate that faces east. And behold, water was trickling from the south side. When the man went out towards the east with a line in his hand, he measured a thousand cubits, and he led me through the water, water reaching the ankles. Again he measured a thousand and led me through the water, water reaching the knees. Again he measured a thousand and led me through the water, water reaching the loins. Again he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not ford, for the water had risen, enough water to swim in, a river that could not be forded. He said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he brought me back, back to the bank of the river. Now when I had returned, behold, on the bank of the river, there were very many trees on the one side and on the other. Then he said to me, these waters go out towards the eastern region and go down into the Arabah. Then they go towards the sea, being made to flow into the sea, and the waters of the sea become fresh. It will, become, it will come about that every living creature which swarms in every place where the river goes will live. And there will be very many fish, for these waters go there, and the others will live. Oh, I'm sorry. And there were many fish, for these waters go there, and the others become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. And it will come about, the fishermen will stand beside it, from the Engedi to the Anglame, and there will be a place for the spreading of nets. Their fish will be according to their kinds, like the fish of the great sea. Very many. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we have this amazing record of what you showed Ezekiel thousands of years ago. And I thank you that it means just as much today as it's ever meant. I ask that I speak today, Holy Spirit, that you speak through me, that, that you would give us wisdom and revelation and insight. I thank you, Father, that you said, you said that we have the mind of Christ, that we can understand all things. And I thank you that our hearts are, are good soil. God, that the, the seed of your word would go into the soil of our hearts and produce fruit that a world that doesn't know you would taste the fruit of our lives as your Spirit produces it, and they would see that you're good. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so he brings Ezekiel to this place, and uh, we, we had a, our Wednesday night worship service. How many of you guys were here for Wednesday night? Oh, did you miss it if you weren't? But anyways, um, I'm just, I'm, I'm not going to gloat anymore because it wouldn't do any good, but, um, but it was awesome. This is the most awesome thing ever, and it's probably not going to happen ever again. So, but I mean, other than that, no, it really was. And and so so Wednesday night during worship, I I turned to this passage and I started reading it, and I, I 
felt like God was speaking to me, so I just wrote down some notes, and I felt like that's what he wanted me to share this morning. So I'm going to just share these notes that I wrote down, and, and we'll see what happens. But it says Ezekiel's having this vision. He brings him to the, to the temple, and from the altar, there's this little trickle of water flowing out. And it flows out, and the angel leads him around to the, through the inner gate to the outer gate and around to the gate that faces east, and, and, and the river is still flowing. And, and then he's, the angel tells him, watch. And the angel starts measuring out these distances. And so he measures out the first distance, and as they walk out to where the first distance is, the water's to the ankles. And, and as they measure out another thousand cubits when they walk out, it's now to the knees and then to the loins. And then he measures out another thousand. And, and he, as he walks out to that distance, now suddenly it, the water's so great and the river's so wide that it can't be crossed and it can be swam in. And the angel says to him, This river, it's going to flow out eastward. And it's going to go out into the salty places. It's going to go out towards the sea. And it will make everything that it touches fresh. Now, this would have been totally different than what happens in real life. In, 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 in reality, when you have fresh water flowing into salt water, the salt water actually flows up into the fresh water and turns the fresh water salty so that by the time it gets to the ocean, it's brackish, it's mixed, and it becomes salty as it empties into the water. It doesn't change the ocean to fresh. And he says, as this river goes, everything so will be that everything it touches will live. And so... There's this picture that he gives them of the temple carrying the river of life that everything it touches flows. And the longer and the farther it flows, the deeper and deeper it gets, the wider it becomes and the more it touches. And he says, this river is different than what you know of in your life because as this river goes, everything that it touches becomes clean. Everything it touches becomes fresh. And everything it touches will live. And as I was thinking about that, I thought, wow, that's, that's amazing. And then instantly I thought of in John chapter 7, verse 37, it says, Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So, there's this Old Testament idea of this river that flows out from the temple. And as it flows, the longer it flows in increments, it becomes deeper and it touches more and it brings life to everything. And then Jesus stands up in the New Testament and says, Behold, anyone who's thirsty, drink of me. What's he saying? Right now, that river flows from me. He's saying, come and drink of me. Because right now, see, before the river was in the temple, which is where the presence of God was, then when Jesus comes to earth, now the river's in him. Come and drink of me. From him is flowing the same living water. And then he prophesies and says, and he who believes in me, from their belly shall flow rivers of living water. What was Jesus saying? Jesus is saying the thing that Ezekiel saw 
that was in the temple has now moved to me. I am now the presence of God on earth, the embodiment of His presence, and from me flows this river. But there's a day coming when the Spirit will come. What had to happen for the Spirit to come? He had to leave. Remember? It's better for you that I go, for if I go, I can send the Helper, the Holy Spirit, and when He comes, He'll lead you and guide you into all truth. So the Spirit of God had not yet come to fill people yet. So he's saying to them what? He's saying, this is what I carry, but there's a day coming where everyone who believes in me will become the temple of God and they'll carry this same river and from their belly, from within them, this same river of life will flow. And everything it touches will live. Everything it touches becomes fresh. What is he saying? Greater is the river in you than anything in the world that the river might touch. See, there was a time where when in Jesus' day where when people were unclean, no one could touch them. Not even the priest because they would become unclean themselves and they would have to purify themselves. And so when they were walking along and they would see people, they, they, would, they would make these people all hang out together. Can you imagine the shame that you would feel if you were alive back in those days and, and you had leprosy or some uncurable disease and they said to you, you have to go live with the rest of your kind. With the rest of the unclean ones. And when you guys are walking, if you see people coming, before they get close enough to, to catch what you have, you have to wave your hands and shout, unclean! 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 You have to let people know that you carry something that they don't want because that way they don't come close enough to touch you and become infected with what you carry. And then Jesus comes along and He touches the leper and the leper becomes clean rather than Jesus be made unclean. Why? Because the river was in Him and everything that it touches will live. Everything that it touches goes from being unclean to clean. And then He said, the same river that flows from Me, from your body, from the temple. It's amazing, right? Think about it. The old covenant temple. Jesus, the intermediary, and then the new covenant temple. Don't you know that you are a temple of God? And His temple is holy. And that is what you are. And that river that was running from the temple in the old covenant is still running from the temple in the new covenant. It's just now, rather than being in one place and going out from there, it's in every one of us and it goes out from all of us. And I felt like what God was showing me, well, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. The first thing I felt like he showed me was not to despise little things. See, that trickle that started at the altar, it says there was a trickle of water coming out to the point where I just picture it being this tiny little thing. He said it flowed out through the door, next to the door. I just picture that at one point Ezekiel could stand with one foot on either side of this little trickle and look down at it, and it was all right there. But it was just beginning. And as it flowed, it began to not only get wider, but it began to get deeper. And it felt like God was showing me that this is a picture of our life with Him, that the longer we walk with Him, the more we understand Him, the more we say yes every single day, the deeper and the wider what we carry becomes. And so what could easily be dammed up, what could easily be diverted at one point, it says He went out a thousand cubits and now it's to the ankles. And I still think he could cross it because when he got to the deepest part, he said a river that could not be forded, could not be crossed. So at this point, he could still cross the river. But I, I just picture it being about, maybe about this wide now. You know, you could still do it, but you had to, you had to be in shape. 
We all know I can do this because... Well, I haven't been doing CrossFit for a little while, but I, I still get my workout in. Um, but, but he could do this. But now it's a little deeper than it was before, and it's a little wider than it was before, but still pretty easily damned up. Have you ever noticed that when people first get born again, when you first start following the Lord, when you first make a decision, no matter how long you've been following the Lord, when you make a decision, when you turn, when you repent, when you do something different, when you step into something new, it feels like all of hell comes against you. Because the enemy's not stupid. He understands this one thing. Right now, that river's as small as it's ever going to be. And the longer it goes, the deeper and the more powerful and the wider it's going to get. And I'm going to try to do everything I can to cut it off now. And he says he measured out. He goes out a distance. And I feel like in times in our lives, we're standing in one place. And God's out there and he's calling us saying, come out here and look. And now Ezekiel at any time could have said to the angel, this is as far as I want to go. He didn't have to go. It wasn't like the angel was compelling him, dragging him, leading him, doing any of that stuff. He said, come and look. And there's these times in our lives, you guys, where, where I feel like we come to places where God is saying to us, I have more for you. I have something deeper. I have something wider. I want to show you, but it's going to take you leaving the place that you are and coming to where I am for you to step into this new thing. And so he walks out, and now he says it's up to the knees. But I think he can still afford it, you know, so now he probably had to do the stance like this, right? I don't know how much these jeans can take, so I'm not going to go much wider than that. <laughs> Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, but he could still, I think, span it because he didn't say anything about it not being able to be forded, not being able to be crossed. And now it's up to his knees. And yet God's not finished and God's not content with him simply being in a place that was deeper than the place he was before. See, sometimes we go from where we were to where God's calling us to and then we want to set up camp there. And we want to stay there because we're deeper than we were before. Because it's, it, it looks different than it did before. Because the, the, the river's wider and the river's deeper. But God's never content with that. He's never content with something that we can actually contain. And so now he says, come on out a little deeper. Another thousand cubits. He says, now it's up to the waist. And I imagine he could still be crossed, but now he probably would have had to run and jump. Because now the river's getting wider. It's getting deeper. Now it takes actually, like before, all it took was him just walking and he could, you know, he could still fit forward the river just by doing this. Now all of a sudden, it takes some effort on his part. Have you ever noticed that like walking with God, I'm not saying that, that well, Paul said, I strive more than all of you. Like, let's get the idea that striving is unbiblical out. It's not striving for salvation, but once you're saved, there is a lot to strive for because you're called to so many things by God. And you do all things through Christ who strengthens you, meaning what? You have to have strength for the things that he's called you to do. It's not, it's not autopilot. Okay, but you're never without that strength, right? The joy of the Lord is your strength. That's why if you ever get to a place in the season of your life where you have no joy, you're in a place where He doesn't want you to be because He's never called you to be in a place where you're without the one thing you need to do what He's called you to do. And even in a season where you're going through a hard time, you can still find the joy in it. Jesus went through the hardest season that any human being has ever gone through. I know, Jesus wasn't a human being. He was fully God, fully man. He did it as a man. It says He emptied Himself of his deity. He emptied himself and he became for a time lower than the angels. 
As a man, he did this. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the death, even death on a cross. What is it saying? It's saying that even in that season where he's in the garden sweating like drops of blood, saying, God, if there's any other way, take this cup from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. He could still find joy in that season because he saw the thing that was before him, and the joy of the Lord was his strength, and that's what kept him be able to go to the cross. Don't ever allow yourself to be fooled into thinking that what you're going through is so unique to you that there's no way that you could walk through it with joy. Because I promise you, it's not carrying the cross that Jesus was called to carry. Amen. I promise. And so, but now it takes some effort. Now if you want to cross this river, and if you want to navigate this river, you're going to have to actually do some jumping probably because now the water's deeper. And, and you could settle there. And, and that's farther than you ever were before. You realize the water now, it started as this little trickle coming out. It says from one side of the altar. Like it was just so small, it actually came, it didn't even pour, it wasn't even the width of the altar as it left. It was just a trickle, it says, it came from the south side of the altar. And it started out as this little trickle, and as it goes deeper, every time you go deeper with God, there will always be the temptation to settle and set up camp there. There will always be the temptation to say, I have more of God now than I ever had before. I'm walking in deeper levels of revelation, deeper levels of understanding, deeper levels of intimacy with Him, deeper things of God. There will always be a temptation at every one of these places. That's why He went out a certain distance and stopped. But every time He went a certain distance and stopped, the angel always had more for Him. So He's gone from ankles to knees to loins and says he measured off another thousand cubits. And this is where the angel wanted to bring him to. This was really the destination. All those other places were just stops along the way. All those other places were just seasons of your life that you were going through where your thinking was being changed, where your mind was being renewed, where old thinking that got you the old place had to be cast off so that new thinking could take you to the next place. Where things that you learned in one season had to be unlearned because you couldn't, you could no longer treat the river the same every time. Now as it got wider and deeper, it required different things of you. I mean, you guys understand, you know what I'm talking about. You, you've, you've felt this with God where it's like every time He's taking you somewhere, it not only requires a new way of thinking, but sometimes it requires getting rid of some of the old thinking. Because the thing that got you there isn't the thing that's going to take you to the next place. There's one thing, and that's what? He's following the voice that remains consistent throughout the whole thing. That's something you will never abandon, you will never grow out of, and you will never have to trade in for something else, is following the leading and guiding of the voice of God. And so now the angel says, come out here. And I just, I see it like he's walking, and suddenly he realizes, oh no. I can't get across this thing. And it's now so deep that I can actually swim in it. Meaning what? I can no longer stand. It's the only time that you swim in water is when you can no longer stand. Unless you're doing it for your own fun. Right? Then you might have one of those little shallow four-foot pools that you could stand in, but you choose to swim in. But this is not that. This is saying, He brought me out where it was over my head. It was beyond my own ability where I could now swim in this river. And this little trickle has now become a river 
And it says, and everywhere that river went. You notice it doesn't talk about it fish teeming in. It doesn't talk about the trees or any of that stuff until it gets to this place. Not that those things weren't happening, but this is where he starts to point out. And he says, and it shall be that everywhere this river. That trickle was part of this river, but the trickle wasn't touching things. It was in the temple. It was going through the gates. There were no trees on its banks. There were no fish there. It hadn't encountered anything that it needed to change. And suddenly he says, now it shall be that this river, this place of you being so far out here that you're over your head where you can swim and you can't get across it on your own. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, there's places I want to take you where there's nothing that your natural mind can do to make you do the things that I'm calling you to do. I'm calling you to places that are so deep and so wide that you'll have to swim. You won't be able to stand and you're going to have to trust me because you can no longer lean on your own understanding. Now in all your ways you have to acknowledge me and trust that I'm directing your path. So he, he brings them out there and I love this. And he says, enough water that to swim in, a river that could not be forded. And he said to me, son of man, have you seen this? Then he brought me back to the bank. Well, where is he at? He's in the middle of the river. And he's saying, son of man, do you see this? You see how deep this is? You see how wide this is? He brings him over to the bank of the river. And he says to him, he says, now when I returned, behold, on the bank of the river, there were very many trees on the one side and on the other. Then he said to me, these waters go out towards the eastern region and go down to the Arabah. Then they go towards the sea, being made to flow into the sea, and the waters of the sea become fresh. And it will become that every living creature which swarms in every place where the river goes will live, and there will be very many fish, for these waters go there, and the others become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. It started as a trickle. It becomes a river. And everywhere the river goes, it brings life. What is he saying? He's saying if you want to be the kind of person, if you want to have the kind of power of God operating in your life, if you want to be the kind of people that wherever you go, you bring life, you have to go out to the point where you're over your head and you can't cross it on your own. Everywhere this river, not the trickle, the trickle is what started the river. Listen, it's always the same source. It's never about you. If you disconnect from the trickle, the river dies. If you dam up the trickle, there is no more river because that's what started the river. But he also said, I don't want you to stay there in that place of the trickle. I don't want you to stay in that place of just being thankful every day that you're saved and that one day you're going to go to heaven. Always be thankful for that, but then realize, I did something in you for the world around you. It wasn't just for you. And so he's saying, wherever you're at, there's always more. It can, Because the river didn't stop there. That's just where he stopped bringing him. Why? He brought him to the place where he couldn't get across it on his own and where it was too deep for him. Letting him understand this. I'm going to take you somewhere that's beyond your own ability. And, and from there, it just continues to flow and it goes out towards the sea and everything it touches begins to change. If we want to be the kind of people, this body of believers, if the church universal wants to be the kind of people that brings change wherever we go, then we have to get to a place where we're in so deep with him 
that we can't do it on our own and we understand that, but we don't allow that to scare us and we just keep going wherever the river tells us to go. That's the place where you see change happen just by the river being there. That's the place where people look at Jesus. Zacchaeus is a tax collector. He climbs up in a tree because he wants to see Jesus. If people see Jesus, the real Jesus, if people hear about the real Jesus, and he said, listen, as the Father sent me into the world, so I also send you. I'm always with you. I and you and you and me. Meaning what? That you're supposed to display Jesus to the world. He said, I came that they would, through me, they would see the Father. And then he said, as the Father sent me into the world, to do what? To display the Father, to show people what he's like. Jesus said, it's the same way that he sent me into the world, I also send you. These are Jesus' words. That's not like so high-minded. It's not us saying, oh, wow. It's not us. That wasn't my idea. If it's my idea, that's pretty arrogant. But if it's his idea, it's pretty arrogant to believe anything else. Because then I'm saying what I know is greater than what he knew. And what I know, see, Jesus was a good guy, and man, he really believed the best about everybody. And I'm sure he meant that for some people, but he didn't know what I was going to do. He didn't know what my life was going to look like. He didn't know the things that I was going to get into. As if there was something that Jesus didn't know about you when he declared that to you, that as the Father sent me into the world, so I also send you. As if he'd be like, oh, you know what, Roy, you're right. I did mean that for everybody but you. You and a few others. No, it's total arrogance for us to exalt our own opinion of ourselves above His. And it can sound so humble. Well, I'm just a... No, you were. But everything passed away and all things became new when you became born again a new creation in Christ. And if you're still who you were before you became born again, you have to ask yourself, did I really become a new creation and did all things really pass away? Or did I simply settle for saying a prayer that one day will transform me? No. Because nothing happens when you die that changes who you were on earth. You stand before Him the same way you left this earth. It's not as if there's a veil of blood that you pass through that gets you into the, the, the judgment seat. You will stand before Him on the last day the way you stood before Him on the last day on earth. Otherwise, death is your Savior, not Jesus Christ. And so if you can stand before Him perfect, blameless, spotless, upright, and beyond reproach, which is the way it says He's able to present you to the Father on that day, then that means you stand before Him the same way today. He's probably capable of using somebody who's holy, blameless, perfect, upright, and beyond reproach. Not because of you, but because you're covered in the blood of His Son and because He declared that's who you are. I can feel it. That bothers some people. I can. You know, when you're preaching, you can just feel tension. You can feel push. Listen, this is not my theology. This is straight from the Word of God. He declares that you're holy. How dare you stand there and declare yourself something less than that when He's declared that that's what you are? Don't you know that you are His temple and His temple is holy and that is what you are? That's straight from your Bible. It's not humility. It's absolutely extremely arrogant to stand there in the face of His words and declare something different about yourself as if your opinion matters when the He's spoken. If your opinion and His are incompatible, guess who needs to change? It's not Him. He got it right the first time. He's so confident of that 
that he said he, he values his word above his own name. Guess what? One of those things that he spoke over you was that you're his temple and, your temp, and his temple is holy. That means he exalts that word that he spoke over you above even his own name. Meaning what? That his name would mean nothing if that wasn't true. I'm telling you, listen, it's in your Bible. That's why the gospel is good news. It takes faith to believe it. If you could get your head around it naturally, you wouldn't need faith. But the just shall live by faith. Meaning what? There should be things in my life that are so hard for me to imagine that they could possibly be true that I have to stand before him and say, God, I just don't know how, but I believe you because you said it. That's faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Meaning what? I think it so pleases the Father when we stand before him and we look at him and we say, I know everything that is humanly true, but I believe everything that you've said is truer. That's faith. That's faith, and it pleases him. Why? Because then Jesus is receiving what he paid for. You realize Jesus paid for that moment. He paid for the moment that you would see yourself apart from him and decide, I want nothing more than to receive what he died on a cross. He paid for that moment. He paid for every moment that you would stand with unveiled face before the Father, able to look at him and believe that you are who he said you are, not because of what you know, but because of what he's done. That's part of what Jesus paid for. And I believe when he gets that, have you ever bought something that you really, really wanted? Ever? We're in church, I know, but it's okay to answer back, I promise. It's so weird. You'll have a conversation with a friend out there on the lawn, and then you walk into church, and it's like... The words just get sucked right out of you, you know? It's like there's something at that door that when you touch it, it's like... It's like a mute button or something. Let me unmute all of you. It's okay. Yeah, it's okay to respond. If you think sitting silently is holy, you're going to have a hard time in heaven. Because in heaven, when it declares that it says there was a thunder of a multitude of voices too great to be counted. It's, it's, it's in the Bible. It says all of heaven celebrates when even one enters the kingdom. Right now they're celebrating because I promise you somewhere in the world someone's heart is turning towards him. Yeah. There's a constant celebration going on. There's elders before the throne and all they do is saying holy, holy, holy and cast their crowns before him and fall on their faces. There's seraphim that circle his throne. All they do, all they've ever sang is holy, 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 holy. That's it. They know one song and it's one word. And they're content with that. I think we repeat stuff too much in church. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Maybe you need to get a better view of him rather than us get a better song because the seraphim are content with one word. One word. They're content. And they've been singing it forever. Well, we sang that one part for like four minutes. You're going to have a hard time in heaven. Maybe you won't because then maybe you'll see something then that he says is possible to see now. And if you would actually see now what they see then, you would be content to sing the same word over and over and over again. All the worship leaders are like, Amen! (laughs) That was good. I'm going to have to go back and listen to the podcast because none of this stuff's in my notes. (laughs) 
don't even remember where I was. Huh? Oh, yeah, have you ever bought something that you liked? See, Cache was paying attention. Have you, ever, have you ever saved for something? Now, listen, have you ever saved for something and really saved for it, and every day you think about it and you're like, oh, there's a day coming when that'll be mine? Ever done that? Okay, this is with earthly things, right? Think about this. The Father was waiting for the perfect day, and it says that He sees the end from the beginning, the beginning from the end, meaning what? He saw the day that you would receive what He paid for and that He would get what He paid for. And He said what? Oh, I can't wait because one day that's going to be mine. And then that day happens. And those days are constantly happening because people are constantly receiving what He paid for. And heaven is just going crazy. And it says that they celebrate. All of heaven celebrates. You you realize that when the shepherds, when it says a host of, of, of the angels came to announce the birth of Christ, that it sounded like thunder when God spoke one, when God, just one of the voices in heaven that celebrates. All of heaven includes the Father. Meaning what? He's leading the cheer. He's not up there going, oh my gosh, look at my kids, they're excited again. When will they get over it? This is like so old to me. It's been happening forever. He's not like that. He's not this impersonal thing that has no feeling and emotion. You're created in his image and in his likeness. You have feelings and emotions because he does. That's right. You just got to make sure they're directed the right way. Hate nothing but the things he hates. Love nothing but the things he loves. But hate and love he hates and loves so when just a a small portion of the heavenly host came and sang to the shepherds it says it filled the sky can you imagine when they're all together and they're all celebrating i promise you won't be in heaven going could you god Look, I, I, I love you. I love being here. I really do. And I appreciate the quiet times, you know, when you, when you speak. But the rest of that stuff, I just, I'm not sure about. Could you ask them to turn it down a little bit? It's not going to happen. Why? Because there's going to be something in you that's joining the response. Because you'll be seeing what they've been seeing. And you won't mind that you've been singing the same word for 15 years and that you have no intention of stopping for eternity. I think heaven's going to be a shock for a lot of people. I think we're going to be surprised who's there. I think we're going to be surprised how absolutely wild and chaotic it is. In perfect order, of course. (laughs) Organized chaos. Because God is orderly. He is. Don't get this idea that like if something's organized, the Holy Spirit must not be involved. The Spirit was there looking and it says brooding over the face of the earth and chaos covered the earth. And then He said, let there be light. And He brought order and He set chaos into order. Don't ever get caught up in thinking if something's organized, the Holy Spirit's not involved. In fact, if something's not organized, there might be a chance the Holy Spirit isn't involved. And that people are actually being lazy and thinking that if I don't plan something, then God will have to show up and try to force his hand rather than realizing he might be just as involved in the planning as he is in the process. So how do I tie that into where it's going? It's the art of teaching, right? 
And lace little threads trying to tie them together. Um, oh, this is, this is something that's really crazy. You know, I'm just going to close up with this because it's, it's 10 past 12 and we'll get into the rest of this because it's awesome stuff talking about gifting and talking about like his heart towards us and all that kind of stuff. So we're going to really start talking and digging into like spiritual giftings and what does that look like? Not just teach on it once and then go away from it, but actually like start talking and teaching and, and saying, what does this look like? And actually having opportunity for us to operate inside of our giftings in this building. Not because the goal is for everything to come. The river's not supposed to flow into the building, but if the river's not flowing here, there's a good chance that maybe it's not flowing out there. Just maybe. Because you're surrounded by people in here who are loving and encouraging and wanting you to operate in your gifting. And if you won't do it when you're surrounded by people that you know for sure want it to happen, there's a chance for at least one of us that you might not do it in a place where you're uncertain of how it will be received. So we want to at least get the ball rolling. So, um, But turn your Bibles real quick because this is so amazing because there's very few things. There's this, there, there are a few continual threads that you see throughout old, new, and then forever. Turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 22. The book of Revelation, this is John being brought into heaven and, and, and the prophecy of what is and what is to come is released to him. Chapter 22, verse 1 says, Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from where? The throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. You realize that river is, the, is one of the very few things that you find in the Old Covenant, you find in the In-Between Covenant, you find in the New Covenant, and you find that it's in heaven operating forever. What does that mean? It's just another one of God's little clues saying that river that began flowing then was never supposed to stop, and it always goes out, and it always brings life. Always. Here's the point. At every one of those stops, Ezekiel had the choice if he wanted to to say, I'm as deep as I want to go. God, you know, I, I stood around in the ankle deep stuff for a long time and now that I'm in the knee deep stuff, this is awesome. The river's wider now. This is pretty awesome. And the angel's like, don't stay there too long because there's more. He gives him a second to realize. He says, and I stood there, and as I stood there, I saw that it was this. He gives him a second. It's not that there's never a season of your life for saying, wow, this is awesome, and enjoying where God's brought you to. But every time you find yourself in one of those seasons, start listening for that voice that says, hey, I'm calling you deeper. Hey, I'm calling you farther. Hey, I know that's good. If you trust me and you leave that behind and you come to where I have you, it's even better here. And then you get there and there's that voice still calling. Hey, there's more. It's deeper over here. And there's a place I want to take you that's over your head. I think that's symbolic of the fact that the places He wants to take us are going to be above our level of thinking. Because He wants to do abundantly, exceedingly and abundantly above all we could ask or think. That means there's things that you haven't thought of that He has for you. And He wants you to trust Him and go out to a place where that's all that's available. That's all that's possible. Because it's over your head. 
Father, I thank you for that. I thank you for your word. I just thank you for what you're doing in the hearts of this body. God, I just, I, I just, I don't know what it is, and I'm, I, I'm not going to try to put a label on it, but I love what you're doing, and I love the idea that we want to gather together, but even more than that, Father, I want when those doors to open, when those doors open and we leave, God, for a flood to come rushing out. Father, that we would gather at the source, we would gather at you, we would gather at your cross, we would gather at your word, that that trickle would refresh us, but that we would continue to walk, God, that the the trickle becomes a stream, and the stream becomes a river, and a river becomes a flood. And I just thank you for that. Thank you as we go, Father, that we're conscious and mindful of the fact that everywhere we go, you intend for us to bring life. That everything we touch turns to what we carry rather than the other way around. I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.